Samantha G is RNZ reporter based in Nelson. Morena, Samantha. Morena, Catherine, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Now, tell me about this new $3 million air ambulance to be based at Nelson Airport. I imagine this will be widely welcomed. Uh, How's it happened? Yes, so the Flying Doctors Service has a new aircraft. Uh, I think it's been something they've needed for some time and it's finally arrived. It's like an intensive care unit in the skies, really, and it's based here at Nelson Airport, which is quite exciting. So it transport patients uh, from the regions like the top of the south, to hospitals in the main centres so they can get highly specialised care. And it was quite sweet, really. They held the competition to find a name for the plane. And the winner, a woman, Naomi Johnson, chose Kaharangi, which is obviously the largest national park in the top of the South Island. And she chose the name because it also means blue, like the Nelson Marlborough skies, and precious, which she says the plane and the patients and the crew all are. And so, I mean, the, the service itself flew around 1,300 missions across the country in the year to last June. And around six 150 of those were from Nelson. So I guess that sort of illustrates the need for it to be based here, really. And that's potentially because we have quite a decent population scattered over a large area, but no tertiary hospital up here. And so there's a high demand for flights to the main centres. Normally, how does it work? Because, of course, the helicopters bring patients off, of course, and lives are saved. Absolutely, lives are saved by them being able to get to the tertiary hospital in that golden hour or near enough. Is this one used for emergencies? Is it used for um, other purposes? What's its brief? Yes, so obviously the the rescue helicopters are really well known throughout the country and they respond to accidents and often get people to the hospital in that sort of crucial time, like you're saying. But this uh, this air ambulance is more for if somebody's had an accident, say, has come into hospital at Nelson but needs further treatment, say, specialist spinal treatment, which is that at Burwood Hospital in Christchurch, for example, uh, the air ambulance will then transfer them from... Nelson down to Christchurch. So they may have come into Nelson Hospital, had some treatment, but then they need to be transferred again for further treatment. So it just saves what would otherwise be a really long car ride. You know, it's 400-odd kilometres by road to get to Christchurch in five or so hours. So it means that, uh, yeah, that journey is a whole lot more comfortable. Uh, It's a Beechcraft Super King Air B200 for the um, plane geeks for you out there. And um, its pilots on on, on, um, plane crew are highly skilled, yeah? Yes, so they have to have specialist training, the pilots, and there there are actually nurses that travel on the aircraft as well, and they are, um, sorry about that. I see, they, you, I see you nurses, I think, actually, so they're yes, intensive yes. care skilled, yeah. Yeah, wow. so they work at Nelson Hospital. A 30-year service, I think, um, the um, uh, the air ambulance, Is, has this been, has there been a big fundraising drive for this? How's it been, how's it happened financially? Yes, so uh, it's an expensive plane, as you can imagine. I'm not sure exactly how uh, the funding, what the funding model is, but I know that there are generous donations that sort of go towards the mm. Flying Doctor service, and that's made this possible. Yeah, OK. Now, another big moment. The Pike 29 track is open. Uh, this is, uh, I think, was the last stretch of this um, Paparoa National Park walk to open. Can you just explain more about what's happened this week, please? Yes, so in the last week, that Pike 21... 21- 29 memorial track officially opened and it's 13 years on from the disaster so it's taken quite some time it's an 11.6 uh, kilometer 
dual mountain biking and walking track within the Paparoa National Park, and it was a partnership between Doc, Tirunanga, Onati Waiwai, and the families of the 29 men. So I haven't seen the track for myself, but I understand it's a journey through some pre- pretty spectacular landscape, from alpine scrub through to some luxuriant forest, and it begins inland from Greymouth near Black Ball. And the aim was kind of to create a memorial to those who lost their lives, but also to create some economic stimulus for the communities that were affected by the tragedy. And it means that there's now kind of public access to part of the Pike River Valley area that was closed to the public back in 2006. I noticed also from imagery there's a um, almost like the entrance to a mine is a beautiful sort of sculpture that you enter through that's almost like an entrance to a mine, which I, I guess is just a beautiful way of memorialising um, and remembering those men who, who, who lost their lives um, entering into this part of the coast for, you know, hopefully um, a beautiful experience and remembering them as you go. Yes, definitely. And there are also plans to create a visitor museum at the former mine administration building. So that uh, isn't complete yet, but that will sort of add to that experience. Although the mine portal area itself is obviously off limits to the public. And then there's a shorter 15 minute walk that's been created there for those who don't want to do the full track that takes you uh, from the Pike Valley car park through some of the forest. So you can explore it if you don't have time to do, do the full sort of 12 kilometre track. Now, in Golden, May, uh, Golden Bay, this is a real success story involving the fluttering shearwater chicks. What's happened over recent times and how's it going? Yes, so it's actually been the third translocation of Pakaha, or fluttering shearwater chicks, as you say, uh, that have come from the Marlborough Sounds to Cape Farewell, the northernmost point of the South Island, and it's part of an initiative to establish a population of the seabirds uh, there. So this most recent translocation, the birds have been in burrows at the Farariki Eco Sanctuary, and that was uh, set up by the Health Post Nature Trust a couple of years ago with, with Doc and Mana Whenuaki Mohua. So in mid-January this year, the third translocation, there were 92 chicks that came from Long Island in the Sounds to Cape Farewell, and they've um, all been named by volunteers who've spent the last month hand-feeding them fishy smoothies, I understand, that are made from fresh and frozen pilchards and canned sardines. And so they've been hand-fed those smoothies until they're ready to fledge and leave the nest, leave their nests or leave their burrows. And I understand all... All but one of the birds have successfully taken flight from the Cape. The last bird, who's named Eric, has an eye infection. So he's been in quarantine until his eye heals. And um, yeah, once, once that infection's cleared, he'll be released to join join the others who are flying to Australia. That's just wonderful. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the, the Farariki eco-sanctuary eco and, and what it's offering, I guess, that's allowing um, these translocations to happen and to be successful? Yes, so the Farariki Eco Sanctuary is at that northernmost tip of the South Island and it's uh, been fenced off with a predator-proof fence so it means that that headland out there uh, is a safe nesting area for birds that you know are free from predators and, mm. and you know have, have a good chance of survival. And so the birds that have been released from there, they actually, these fluttering shit, what do they fledge and spend up to three years at sea before they return to breed? So given that this is the third translocation, uh, we may see those first birds that were released three years ago return here later in the year and then hopefully see them breeding for the first time next year. And if that happens, it'll be the first fluttering shearwater colony on mainland New Zealand since they were kind of all wiped out by predators. Wow. Farariki Beach, of course, absolutely stunning beach. And it's that incredible sort of um, juncture, isn't it, where the west coast meets the, the top of the South Island and um, you, you really are, uh, you know, 
in the territory, Fairwell Spit, not far away, um, really are in this incredible um, native space and, and how fantastic that that's uh, proving so successful. A lot of volunteers involved in making this happen and in getting those birds through to fledging. Yes, around 35 volunteers are working and I think it's pretty relentless. They need feeding several times a day and weighing and measuring. So yeah, at least a month or six weeks worth of work up there and I'm sure they'll be um, eagerly awaiting, you know, seeing how these birds do and seeing how they, this, this first team of birds at least three years ago, you know, what they like when they come back. Sardines, um, they might be in for a shock when they're out out on their own, but that's all good. Uh, now the hot, dry weather, of course, uh, continues across Nas- uh, Nelson, Tasman, Marlborough. We've seen those fires hit the Port Hills. I bet those Wither Hills are uh, living up to their name at the moment. Yes, the Wither Hills are looking very dry. The last time I was in Blenheim, you know, uh, the, they'd been closed for some time at that point, and they're just. Um, looking very brown it's fair to say I think even the car parks have been closed on those popular walking tracks just to keep people out of that area and obviously we had a forest fire in the Lee Valley in Tasman uh, in early February that you know took some time to contain burnt through some pine plantation and that came after ongoing warnings about high fire danger across the top of the south and people just being encouraged to you know think about the conditions and not do anything that could cause a spark the fire in the Lee Valley broke out almost five years to the day since we had the Pigeon Valley fire and that was actually accidentally sparked by an agricultural contractor working in a dry stony paddock. So, you know, it's very much top of mind for people at the moment. Uh, This recent fire was thought to have been sparked by a vehicle on the roadside. And since then, Tasman Pine Forests who own that land and they have closed their forests to, you know, public access until further notice. So, yeah, very much top of mind for many people up here. Fire bans right, left and centre at the moment, I imagine, Samantha. Yes, definitely. Um, it's looking very dry in Marlborough, as you said, and you know it's a prohibited fire season in many parts of Nelson, the coastal Waimea and Nelson North North zones until further notice. And then we've got sort of water shortage directions in the Tasman district as well that are affecting several areas. Could you tell me a little bit about uh, a little bit more about those? This is. Um the Mutri, uh, the Mutri deep groundwater at the upper Motueka catchments. So, uh, are they particularly impacted? Yes. So, I think from next Monday, uh, we've got some water shortage directions coming into play. So, yes, the Mutri, the upper Motueka, and the Waimea are, are very affected at the moment. But this prolonged dry dry weather has also prompted some rationing in areas of Golden Bay as well. Um, drought worries, uh, is that now being widely discussed, the potential for? Yes, there has been talk in Marlborough of a drought. I know at a recent Marlborough District Council meeting, the Marlborough Sounds Ward Councillor Barb Falls was talking about places in the outer sounds that were extremely dry, places like Titarangi, and then across at the Wairo Bar near Blenheim, uh, the areas where creeks have dried out that have never been dry before. Samantha, thank you very, very much. That is uh, Samantha G, our Nelson reporter, RNZ's Nelson uh, reporter.